Hi, I'm Justin Rosso, and welcome to this episode of the Next Step Podcast, where we help you take a next step. This is episode 12 of season 2, where we've been focusing on Pandra New, a hymn journal of trust and confidence from Next Step Press. Today's guest is Reverend Dr. Theodore Hopkins. Ted is the pre-seminary director and teaches in the theology department at Concordia University, Ann Arbor. Today, Dr. Hopkins is joining us to talk about the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Verse 4 of that hymn says, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. And we get to talk about the already and not yet of faith and sight and hope and love. After a brief introduction, you'll hear me pray, and then Dr. Hopkins will read the verses from 1 Corinthians 13, found on page 117 of the hymn journal. We'll discuss those verses and what they mean for us as we try to follow Jesus a little bit more closely this week. One day we'll know fully, that is, we'll fully recognize Jesus and who he is completely, even as already now we are fully known and recognized by Jesus. You'll hear us talk about the Emmaus Road Disciples, about the Apology to the Augsburg Confession and Philip Melanchthon. You'll hear us talk systematic theology and biblical theology, and a lot about formation and cultivating the kind of people who are shaped by the Spirit of Jesus to take a next step following him. So welcome. I'm so glad you're here as we get to sit with this hymn and this scripture that shapes in us a love that is even greater than faith. Ted Hopkins joins us today on the Next Step podcast. Professor Hopkins, thanks for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Justin. Hey, where in the world are you today? So I am at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, and I am the pre-seminary director. This is now my second year getting started in that position. Well, tell me more about that. What does that mean for you? Yeah, so I mean, a big part of my my work is teaching, and and this is now my sixth year teaching a theology at um, at Concordia, and, and I teach courses like biblical theology and Lutheran confessions for church workers, and then a variety of other stuff uh, for all of our students. But as the pre-sem director in particular, I do some recruiting for our pre-seminary programs and church work programs. Uh, that's part of my role. But I think a big part of mine is, um, is cultivating our students who are thinking about the seminary into, um, into this life in the church. So forming, helping them to, to be formed by God's word, to be faithful pastors and faithful deaconesses as they go forward to the seminary. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Is there a, a part of that formation or that cultivating that you really enjoy? You know, last year, so it was my first year doing this, I had interviews with my junior students and they were so much fun to see their passion. Like, so it was like spirituality kind of interviews, asking them about, so what are you reading in the Bible? Um, how's your prayer life? And talking about sin and forgiveness. And, and to see their passion for ministry mm. was just so much fun to be able to encourage them, but also be encouraged by them. I mean, I, I really love that. Having pastors and deaconesses, teachers in our church who are being formed by the word, that's so essential if we're going to also be formed as a church by the word. So thank, thank you for the work that you do. Absolutely. And thanks for being with us today. I've got a very particular reason why I wanted you on this particular episode, but we'll get to that in just a minute. Would you please allow me to pray before we move to our reading? Come Holy Spirit and open our hearts and minds. Thank you for your presence in us and among us today. 
as you inspired these scriptures to be written, would you please also open our hearts and our minds? Will you cultivate in us a dependence on Jesus? Will you cause us to be shaped and formed by your word? Please draw us closer and closer to you as we try to take a next step following Jesus today. Amen. Amen. So let's read from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This is verses 8 through 13. St. Paul writes, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Thanks. Hey, as we, uh, as we sit with the, the word for today, was there anything that jumped out at you this time through in particular? I, I think it was um, this time, it, it was the way that uh, Paul, he gives this analogy between being a child and being a man. Mm. And it was, it was that part that I, I've been skipping over, I think, mm-hmm. as I, I read it even an hour ago. <laughs> uh, but that really struck me this time as, as I was reading it. And that analogy from that to this seeing in a mirror dimly and then face to face, if you will, the fullness of what is to come in this world. Now we live in a world which is still a, a child, but God's own adult creation, the new, is on its way. And anyway, I hadn't really thought about that analogy a lot before um, right now. Yeah. Thanks. I, I love how you, you do get something new and you go back to Scripture again and again. That that giving up childish ways, I, I was doing some work about an hour ago, too, going back to this text. And, and that's the same verb that Paul uses in the first part of this reading. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for knowledge, it will pass away. That's the same, actually, to give up or to put away these childish things. It's interesting that the ESV chooses to to translate that as an active verb, to pass away. It's really actually passive in the Greek. So this is to be set aside. This is to be rendered obsolete. It doesn't mean it was bad. It means it was good for its time, and now that time has passed. It's no longer useful. So just like childish ways. It's not like being a kid and having kind of the way of being a child, the rules of childhood apply, and they're good as far as it goes, and then there comes a time when it's no longer appropriate. So I kind of, I think that's the, that's the image Paul's using there. Well, being a child is not bad. My, my son, you know, he's the uh, same age as yours, in fact, um, but he's nine, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. he's, uh, what he's doing and being is certainly not bad, but um, he does need to grow up eventually and become uh, something more than this. It needs to be fulfilled. Yes, yes, fulfilled, brought to completion. It's not like grow up and stop having so much fun or grow up and don't be so silly or or don't. Our last episode, I got to talk to Professor Leo Sanchez about play. And Mm -hmm. this is not stop having so much fun, grow up. This is become completely, become full, become who you are. Not the miniature incomplete version of yourself, but the fullness of who you are. 
Well, Paul's uh, primarily thinking here in terms of our faith and our hope and our love, right? Uh, So that it is uh, precisely this completion of uh, what the Holy Spirit is working in us and has already Mm. even completed in part. We are completely justified and yet still completely sinner at the same time. It's here, but yet I'm also still in my sinful ways too. Now, I, I know in part, you know, I, I do know it's just in part. It's a share of the whole. It's not the whole yet. Right. I went back and dug into that a little bit, too, because that caught my attention. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. That's a, a completely know, a recognize word. And it, it's connected to one of my favorite stories in Scripture. It, it's the Luke 24, the, the Emmaus story disciples. You remember Jesus is walking with them. The resurrection has happened, but they're still confused. And Jesus walks along with them, and, and they're kept from recognizing him. And they keep talking, and he opens their mind to the Scriptures. And later on, they say, hey, abide with us. And he stays. And then he's recognized in the breaking of the bread. They, they recognize who he is. They know him. That's that same same word here. I will know fully. I will recognize because uh, I'll see face to face. I should have done more word study here, clearly, and looked to see more of what <laughs> well, we're doing. Well, I didn't doing. know I was going to. I just kind of got going on it, and it was kind of fun, so I kept doing yeah, it. Yeah, well, that, 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 that's great. But it, it does fit well, that sort of the disciples who, well, even for them, I, I, I suppose they were really seeing in a mirror dimly as they walk down that road, mm. knowing the scriptures, mm. but not knowing them, um, at least yeah. not yet, because they hadn't seen their completion. They hadn't seen yeah. how they were fulfilled in Christ. But then in seeing him and knowing him alive, these scriptures became all new, and he himself even became new to them. And they saw him, you might even say they saw him for the first time, because they saw him for who he was, the son of God who had been killed and was now risen from the dead, just as he was promised in the scriptures. Wow, that's a cool thought, that they were able to recognize him, as Jesus says, everything that was written in Moses and the Psalms and the prophets about me had to be fulfilled. So now that it's been brought to completion, they can recognize him more completely. I personally really like Mark's gospel and how Mark portrays the disciples, um, as we so often are too, as kind of, I don't want to say stupid, but maybe stupid, (laughs) certainly as as just not getting it over and over again, failing to see just who Jesus is and continuing to show themselves as sinful and weak and just not able to get it. But then, so you see the disciples in this, but then here, as Jesus reveals himself, shows him to him in the scriptures, now they see him, now they know him. Um, And all before was just in a mirror, dimly. Yeah. And now they can recognize who he is. And now it seems to me, Ted, you you already mentioned this kind of already we see in part, but we don't yet have that fullness. So is there a sense you think in which we see Jesus in the scriptures and we recognize him, but even our current understanding is not yet what it will be. So there's that both and even in that recognizing. Yeah, I think that's true. Um, there are a couple of dogmatic distinctions that are coming to mind here. I am a systematic theologian, so I can't help but, but do this. <laughs> and I love that about you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, one of them is the, uh, the, the two kinds of faith, you know, direct faith, uh, the faith which believes and which grasps hold of mm. Jesus uh, as, a, as a person and grasps hold and is that gift of faith from the spirit that just grabs hold of his promises and him with his promises. And, and that is a sense in which that, I think, is complete. Um, It's that gift by the Spirit, which is even now full. 
But then there's another side of faith, the faith which is believed. And those things, the faith that we think, the faith that we express, those things are always um, partial and always under the uh, eschatological proviso, you know, a recognition that Christ is going to come and he's going to make all things new. And then we will see fully and we cannot see fully now. Let's hold on to that idea of faith and its completeness or not yet completeness. And let me go ahead and just turn the page here and read this devotion on page 118, just as it's written, and then we can keep keep this conversation going. Uh, the devotion comes from that last verse of the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The devotion's titled, When My Faith Shall Be Sight. I believe you called that the eschatological, what'd you call it? I said the eschatological proviso. The eschatological proviso. I, I, I don't remember where theology. I picked that theology. up exactly. I think it might have been <laughs> Moltmann. Um, I'm not 100% confident on that. Anyway, just that idea that the end is not yet. And we always have to remember that because the end is not yet, anything we say or do now has to be recognized as under some kind of caveat. Yeah. The end times asterisk. Yeah. I like, I like it. Uh, when my faith shall be sight. If Paul asked you which is the greatest, A, faith, B, hope, or C, love, which one would you choose? I would go with D, all of the above, except that's not an option. So I think I would probably go with A, faith. You know, faith, as in we walk by faith and not by sight. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Go in peace, your faith has saved you. And I would get the multiple choice quiz wrong. Paul's answer is love. Why? Love never ends. You see, faith and hope are temporary. Faith and hope give us access to what we can't see until we can see it, that is. Then we won't need faith or hope. Trust that the time will come when you will no longer need trust. Long and hope for the time when longing and hope will be fulfilled. Rejoice that you catch a glimpse already now by faith of who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing. And rejoice that one day you will exchange these eyes of faith, blurry eyes that can just barely recognize movement in the dim reflection of a dull metal mirror with clear and perfect new creation eyes. Eyes that will see Jesus face to face. You desperately need faith, but only until you have love by sight. Love never ends. I don't know that the first time I ever thought through those three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. I, I don't know that the first time I ever thought about that kind of odd formation was when I heard your sermon, but it was the one that stuck with me, and when I went to write this devotion, I immediately thought of you. 
Uh, this goes back, I don't know, a couple of years, Ted. And you, you were preaching down at St. Paul and Milan, which is not your home congregation, and it's not mine either. So you happen to be guest preaching, and I happen to be there in the congregation on, on a rare Sunday off. And I distinctly remember you preaching on, on this text and you talking about faith, hope, and love. I mean, which one would you choose? And I think you said you would have chosen faith too. And I, I just love the way you put it, and that captured my attention. I remembered it a couple of years later. Yeah, that made me feel good about my, my preaching to, to have that kind of impact. You still remember it a couple years later. That's great. Yeah, I revisited that sermon um, just, uh, you know, an hour ago or so was what well, was reading through it again. And um, yeah, that was at St. Paul in Milan. I was preaching there quite a bit at that time. But I, I was teaching Lutheran Confessions at that time, too. And as I do just about every spring and so seeing this and then thinking of the way that Melanchthon, uh, this, this text comes up regularly in Article 4 in the Apology, so on justification. And Melanchthon is making a counter-argument against the Roman confutation, who's using it to say, look, love justifies, right? Love is the greatest. Love justifies. And so I think then the natural reaction of Lutherans is to take that and to think like Melanchthon does rightly, that faith then is the greatest. You know, that's kind of our conclusion from it, you know, because faith justifies, as Melanchthon, uh, I think, expresses so beautifully in his wonderful uh, apology. But then we often, I think, miss just what Paul is getting at in this text. Uh, we're so busy saying love doesn't justify that we don't listen to love is the greatest. That phrase, love justifies, that means love as in my love for other people, my works that show that I have faith. Is that is that what love justifies means in that case? Yeah. So in kind of context of the um, of Lutheran confessions, you know, the Roman confutation was expressing that faith formed by love view. So faith was considered there in terms of knowledge of God, not as that faith which grasps hold of God's promises and trusts uh, but rather the mm. faith which simply knows and knows God cognitively. And so that faith mm. then, if you think of it just as knowledge, they said, well, it has to be formed by love. So you need to now do acts of love that show your love for God, which come out in, in whether religious kind of ways like prayer or in a more uh, vocational kind of ways like um, following the Ten Commandments. That was their view. And those actions then were part of your justification. And Melanchthon says, no, our love, the actions that we do are not in any way part of how we are right with God. We are justified by faith apart from works of the law. Exactly. St. Paul, right? So, so then it would seem kind of normal for a, a Lutheran to say faith is the greatest, but that's not what Paul is saying here. Why is Paul putting it this way in this text? There are a few reasons I think we can see what Paul is doing here. And the one that you pick up on in your devotion is the way that love lasts forever. Faith and hope mm. that they have, they're here just for a time. We need to believe because what we have now is a promise and we don't have the fulfillment of the promise. Mm. Christ has come. He has died for us. God has raised him from the dead. And the new creation has begun even within our world. And we see it in the sacraments, mm. right? Where God's new creation comes to us in water and bread and in wine, comes to us in these words of the forgiveness of sins. And these things are, are here but they're still issued to us via promises of what is to come when Jesus comes back. And now faith yeah. becomes sight as all things are made new and the dead rise from their graves and that cry of command comes and the trumpet blares. And oh man, can you see the beauty? 
I mean, yeah. that is just such a, such a beautiful thing that the scriptures give us and that promise of uh, Jesus coming back when he will make all things new. But right now we're not there. Yeah. So we live by faith. We live by, by hope. But when those things are gone, right, we mm-hmm. will still have love. When Jesus comes back, there will still be that love of the relationship. Just as, of course, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, the Trinity exists in relationships of love and always have and always will. So uh, we too, with our God, we too will exist mm-hmm. in these relationships of love. So love is the thing which is eternal, both backwards and forwards. So we've got this dual reality. Already now we are invited into relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. I, you know, think of Jesus in the, in the upper room talking about him pouring the Spirit out and him living with us and the Father abiding in him and Jesus inviting in us. And we, we enter into that love relationship now, but it's, it's still a relationship that we have by faith. It reminds me of the hymn, actually, in this chapter, verse 3. Verse 3 is already kind of accomplished. It's done. It's a present reality that we have by faith. It's the justification by faith part. He lives, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's done deal. Done already now, and I receive it already now by faith. The atonement has happened. Right? Jesus has taken yeah. our sins, and they are atoned for. No more mine, but his. Absolutely. And then there's another verse. Oh, Lord, haste the day. So, so, like, it's already accomplished, but there's something more I'm longing for. Oh, Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. So it is well already now because of what's already been accomplished. And it's also my soul is well because I know and trust and long for the consummation. Fulfilled already in Jesus, consummated, brought to perfection, brought to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, but not yet. Yes. We are now right with him. We are now holy. We are now justified. We are now even sanctified. But yet so much more. We are still sinners. We are still live in a world of sin. We still exist in this old age too at the same time. Hmm. The new age is here, but we wait for more. So we started by talking about cultivating future church leaders and servants in the church. And, and we talked about being formed by scripture. How does this conversation help us form followers of Jesus? How does it help us cultivate an idea of just taking a small next step this week? So when Paul's talking about in the beginning part of 1 Corinthians 13, when he speaks of, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And again, he talks about if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries, if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And I think we can see here a big part of the importance of love within our own lives, where part of love's, I think, importance is that love gives space for even the the teaching of the gospel and for telling others about Jesus. If we have no love, people are, are going to hear our words and they're going to dismiss them immediately. So as we're thinking about our own Christian lives, I think it's important that we recognize the function that love plays in hmm. how we relate to our neighbors around us. 
Well, without love, there cannot be the hearing of the gospel. That's what I'm trying to get at. Hmm. You know, that, that people might hear it, but they won't actually see Jesus. They'll see and hear something else. So that uh, we need our lives to be, if you will, seasoned with love. And there, I think, as love gives a context for the preaching of the gospel so that people can see Jesus, maybe for who he is, as one who comes to be the servant of all servants, who is willing to give himself up in humility for the world and bear all things, right? Bear all of our sins, who indeed believes all things that trust in his father, even while he's being delivered over to death. To himself, he hopes all things, endures all things. And we're only going to see Jesus as the one who does these things for us when our lives too have um, these elements of love. That's kind of the first half of this passage in 1 Corinthians 13 that I think Paul helps us to, to see and look at. And notice how love might not be the greatest and certainly isn't the greatest for my salvation, but it does help provide a step to my neighbor so they can hear the gospel when they do not know Jesus. Thanks, Ted. I, I appreciate how you brought Jesus into this conversation of love in 1 Corinthians 13 as well. Jesus endures all things. Jesus never fails. And I wonder if that's helpful then when we think about that formation or cultivating this this relationship with Jesus, that love is the eternal reality. That's the not yet. And there's also an already part of this love relationship we have with God and Jesus. That means we have love, the eternal love, already now. And that gets expressed then in, in our service that echoes and imitates and, and resonates with the service of Jesus, our enduring that isn't done in our own power, but is done in the power of the one who endures all things. That love becomes the shape of our Christian life, not just the goal. I don't want to just kind of like die and go to heaven someday and then get access to love but that love is a present accompanying reality with us even now. We love because he first loved us. Hmm. Uh, that's, that sounds like Paul. <laughs> uh, that is central to um, our own Christian lives. We can't live these lives of love that reflect who God is and what he has done until he has come to us. Um, he has come to us by his word, shaped us by his spirit, come to bring us to believe in him, and then he sends us and calls us out to continue even his ministry. I guess I'm reminded of the Emmaus Road Disciples again, too, in this sense, that it's not just that he loves us and then sends us out kind of on our own to go do that loving. He loves us and sends us out to the places he himself is getting ready to go to be present and, and, and there with us as we love. So the Emmaus Road Disciples, they, they don't recognize him. Then, then they do recognize him in the breaking of the bread. He disappears. They say, let's get back on the road. They race back to Jerusalem. You know, now that the sun's down, they've seen the light. <laughs> they, they get all the way back to Jerusalem. They get to the upper room where they'd been just earlier that day. And they share with those people that were up in that upper room, terrified and afraid what Jesus had done for them. And, and Luke tells us while they were still speaking, Jesus himself showed up among them and said, peace be with you. So Jesus didn't send these Emmaus Road disciples out. He doesn't send you and me out to go kind of love on our own and come back and tell them how it went. He sends us out to the very place where he himself is also going to go. We're never alone as we go out to love like Jesus loved.
Absolutely. I think one of the, the biggest mistakes of kind of the modern Christian imagination is that we tend to think of ourselves as the ones who are in charge of our own lives, in charge of even the way that the world runs. And we think of our stories as our own, mm. rather than recognizing that this is all God's big story. It's his work. He's the one who's leading. He's the one who's working. And we're just trying to find our way within it but then trying to run with the grain of God's own work and God's own story. I mean, that's what you see in Acts. Mm. And that's what you're talking about, Justin, in, in, in Luke too, where these disciples in the road of Emmaus are led out by Jesus. He's always one step ahead of them. Yeah. And they're always trying to catch up to where he's leading. What a great way to live your life. Not, not in control, not having the burden of having to write your own story, but recognizing that Jesus is always one step ahead of you. What a wonderful, delightful way to live out your life. Even your story is a gift from above. Mm, amen. It is a beautiful thing. So, hey, uh, before we wrap up today, Ted, is there anything about this conversation around God's word, of, around faith, hope, and love that you kind of sense is perhaps a small next step Jesus would be inviting you to take in, in your role as father or husband or head of the pre-seminary department there at Concordia? Is there anything that Jesus is kind of inviting you into this week? That's a good question. I am so wrapped up with trying to get started in classes again. Hmm. We've got classes start in, I think, now nine days, not that I'm counting, hmm. and trying to get syllabi together. Uh, that's really where, where um, my focus is right now. But I think, thinking of where Jesus' ministry is, I think that might be exactly where I can hear Christ calling me to, to remind me that people matter more than tasks. Hmm. You know, I can get so wrapped up in these kind of things that I can put off my, put off my family, put off my children, put off my, uh, my students in those relationships and just try to get things finished and accomplished. Now, those are important, but it's people that are so much more than that. And that's certainly what we see in Christ's ministry, taking the time for, uh, for others and letting us catch up with him and where he's going and then graciously to receive his forgiveness for all the times we failed mm -hmm. and to be led forward by him and by his spirit. So yeah, I think I can take those things in. Just remind me of people and the importance of people and all this. Faith, hope, and love, these three abide. But the greatest of these is love. Ted, thanks so much for being with us today. Hey, it was my pleasure, Justin. Thanks for having me. That was Reverend Dr. Theodore Hopkins. Ted is a professor of systematic theology at Concordia University, Ann Arbor, where he's also the director of the pre-seminary program. Uh, what a great conversation. I love having that kind of in-depth talk with somebody who's studied systematic theology and knows Melanchthon and the Apology of the Augsburg Confession forwards and backwards. And I love to hear someone who teaches in our church say, one of our biggest mistakes is imagining that we ourselves are the ones in charge of our own lives, in charge of the way the world runs, that we think of our stories as our own rather than recognizing that this is all part of God's big story. I love that emphasis on God's work and God's leadership, that dependence on Jesus and that adventure of seeing what Jesus is putting in front of us next. So thanks, Ted. A great conversation. Loved hanging out with you today. This episode, like all of the episodes of the Next Step podcast, was made possible in part by the generous support of Next Step patrons like you. 
Today, we especially recognize two of our very first patrons, Christy and Scott. Thank you so much for your ongoing support, for everything you do to help us equip others as they take a next step following Jesus. If now is the right time for you to make a commitment to the mission of resourcing next step discipleship, then will you please take a minute to consider becoming a next step patron today? I'll put a link in the description or you can always go to www.findmynextstep.org, scroll to the bottom and click the Patreon link. You can find the original sermon that Ted preached on 1 Corinthians 13 a couple of years ago. We've put it on the Next Step community blog. You can find a link in the description. And before you go today, I want to thank you again for tuning in and being a part of this community that's trying to follow Jesus better as we follow him together. We're on that Emmaus road, you and I, as we sometimes get the setting sun in our eyes and can't see a way forward. And Jesus himself shows up in the midst of our discussion and conversation and confusion even. Jesus shows up in our conversation and leads the way. So thank you. Thanks for being part of this Next Step community. We'll see you next time at Next Step Press.